Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Rugby League Talks. I'm Giggs. I'm Jacob. Rugby League is back. First week of the regular season has started and it was absolutely tremendous. It was amazing to see footy back um, in a sense that it mattered. So what I mean by that is... uh, Well, these games actually mattered. It wasn't a trial. And I think we saw a lot of stuff we didn't see in the trials like we we saw a revamped Warriors side like that looked a lot better we are we have a small grasp of what teams could look like this season and how competitive it could be uh there was a lot of uh, field goals this round uh a, a lot of and they they came down to field goals uh at least two it was a interesting round to say the least, Jacob. Yeah, no. Well, first off, we got to see uh, Chad Townsend's performance of step one, releasing his merch on his website. Step two, <laughs> kicking some of the nicest scrubbers I've seen in a very long time, and step three, winning the game with a field goal. But other than that, it's just the controversy of it too. You know, we've got so much that's coming under the spotlight. Um, you know, we've got a bit about the HIA rules where some coaches are not too fond of it. I personally am fond of it. I think that, you know, doing everything we can to make sure a player isn't injured is the move. Yep. Even if it means someone comes off one in ten times when they're not meant to. Um, other than that, we also saw some teams that were predicted to play really well did not play that well. Uh, some teams that were predicted to bust this season uh, came out and had amazing games. Um, so it's... Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. There's lots to lots to see if it sustains as well. So it's a very fascinating season, and it, I don't think it could have started in a more interesting way. Well, we, we saw it last season. First couple of rounds, it was very tight, very competitive, and then come round four, round five, it just like exploded. It went back to its usual, all right, these are the top teams, these are the shit teams, and these are the mid-teams. <laughs> uh, I think now more than ever, that bottom, the bottom of the top eight is going to be so fucking competitive. Like I said it all throughout preseason that the, it was competitive last season, but it's going to get more competitive, especially with uh, the Dolphins coming in, which we'll get to. Yep. But I want to start off with the opening game of the round, and that was uh, Parramatta versus Melbourne Storm. Yep. A lot of controversy in this game. I thought um, refing rise, but also. Uh, Injury-wise, and a lot of like a lot of uh, good talent on display. Uh, let's let's get him out of the way right now. Jermaine Hopgood, holy shit, he had a game. He had a yeah, Jesus blunder. Christ. That's um, I yeah, he's obviously he's played the full eighty. He's made like fifty odd tackles or something. Uh, took about twenty hit-ups. It was an absolutely ridiculous performance. Like, it's tattooed in my brain, the stats from his performance. Because uh, he just, he kept coming. And his stamina, his work rate in the middle was so good. And I think he's another evolution of this Pat Carrigan, Ruben Cotter type forward, where they just run and tackle for what feels like an infinite amount of time and get these really quick play the balls. But Hopgood, he's got this interesting method of ball playing with some of the Parramatta set plays where they've got 
someone kind of running as a lead jockey, but it's like a little more deceptive and he kind of throws like this pop pass out the back sometimes. Mm. It's 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 really weird. It's fascinating, but it's it's fun to watch because he gets his hand on the ball heaps and he's just his work rate is ridiculous. Um something else I'd like to note obviously is that he is eligible for Queensland. <laughs> oh, Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um especially when we've already got Tino Gilbert, Carrigan, uh Welch coming back this year, Cotter and and some other Queenslanders had outstanding performances, like Felice Kafusi, which we'll get back to later. Well, just like, on Hopgood himself, he played, as you said, he played 84 minutes. Remember this went into overtime? Oh, yeah, because the extra time. Yeah. So, uh, 56 tackles, 172 run metres, 82 supercoach points, uh, 101 supercoach points, sorry, 82 fantasy. Uh, he had the fastest play of a ball speed in any of the forwards starting forwards which we'll get to soon how what was his play of the ball speed 2.89 that's very impressive anything sub three seconds is it's fantastic criminal forward so that is that is very impressive from hopgood wow to put it in perspective rcg 4.13 barlow 4.28 is that is a criticism that I've had of um, Regan Campbell-Gillard for a while. He, he does seem like one of those more sluggish forwards. <laughs> um, Josh Hodgson, 11.12 seconds. <laughs> Cart- that's That's got to be some weird anomaly going on. Cartwright, 3.67. Matt Dory, 4.01. I look at this game and having a father who watches footy since he was a young and and doesn't understand the, like he understands the importance of wrestling but I also did agree with him on that on this little segment that holy fuck Melbourne got a lot got let off with some of their tackling like they held on for them for a very long time on the ground I thought and it wasn't mm. they weren't punished for it and then the moment... We can see the playable speed. Oh, yeah. And it... Well, let's let's look at that. Team stats. Average playable speed, 3.8 seconds for Eels, 2.98 for Melbourne. I've, and then that the is... moment Eels got, like, got a finger on them, they go, how'd get off them? And I'm like, what the fuck? But, um... Well, it's a... It was very interesting. Yeah, well, we've also got the new rules that have come in this year where instead of the ref calling held and then calling release, the ref will only call held. Um, so that I think that does change slightly the policing of the ruck in terms of the willingness of the referees to give away penalties for certain infringements. Mm-hmm. We'll only really see that um, over the season, though, because one round, you know, things can change in terms of officiating interpretations or at least how penalty happy referees can be yeah. but that discrepancy between the teams play the ball speeds that's that's a lot yeah like 2.9 seconds is that's very very good and anything over four is very sluggish um which i guess that makes hop goods that's more impressive i guess mm. because if because melbourne that wrestling is their thing and it has been for decades you know they, they arguably brought it into the game they perfected it and it's always been that way. Yeah. Um, at least 
since Melbourne have developed their form of football. And you can see that it really does affect guys like RCG and Barlow. But it's just really interesting to see a guy like Hopgood still have a sub three second played ball speed. Because that is like, that's a very meta stat in the NRL, uh, given the modern type of footy. Because teams, especially those with craftier dummy halves, they rely on having those markers be offside. You know, we're going to get to speaking about this later with Jeremy Marshall King. And the quicker you'll play the balls, obviously the better. That's your, well, the more opportunities your hooker has to play. And obviously, you know, if the defensive line isn't set, so you can get your forwards running, they can bend the line more. So it's very fascinating. And obviously Melbourne, I don't think they missed a beat. Obviously, we see how quick their play the ball speed is. Can you check what Chris Welch's play the ball speed was? Because I can imagine that that would have been quite decent. Yeah. Um, and just on that, that's why Harry Grant was so good this game. Because he... Exactly. Yeah, he was tremendous. Uh, Rolsch, 2.52. That is... That is insane. Like, that's not just great. That's insane. Like, 2.52 is like... That's really that's good wing I hit up territory. Um, wow. Yeah, well, you count yourself two seconds from being tackled and playing the ball. Like, that's... That's very good. So, I guess that also speaks to Welch's value as well, to that Melbourne Storm team especially given the style of play that um, uh, Grant obviously plays off. I thought he had an absolutely outstanding game too. 100%. Uh, Grant and Walshy, very good to see. Uh, great, Going to be great for representative footy this year. Uh, Storm definitely missed him last year, I thought, at, they, at, at the back end of the season. Um, we all thought that the Bromwich brothers leaving would be a big crater, but Walshy coming back in, the new captain. Oh, he was the captain last year. I don't know why people were making such a big deal out of it. Um, he was co-captain. But being sole captain this year, he had a fill in a big crater left by uh, Jesse Bromwich, which I think he will, and he has done in the first game. He just has to back it up. Yep. Uh, important thing I'd like to mention about this game, while we're on dummy halves as well, the passing from Hodjo, very questionable, very flat. Yep. Now... The, the fact that a lot of for, uh, passes didn't get called forward also surprised me because, I don't know, I, we're not on the field, we're only seeing it from a certain angle, uh, so refs and touches are seeing it better, but very flat balls, and looking at it, and going back and watching Parramatta last season, like I did a couple of plays, like anal- analysing them last season, while Marnie was, like, Hodjo did what Marnie was doing last season, but Marnie yeah. wasn't as flat as Hodjo. He was allowing time for RCG and Barlow to gain momentum on that ball so they can spread the ball. Uh, I wanted to go, I wasn't able to get the opportunity, but a lot of when I teach young players or anyone who want to improve their passing ability or like their pills, I, I say it's all in the hips because that's where the momentum comes. You shift your body through the hips. That's how you get the spin on the ball. Um, so I want to go back and watch the KO Mini and see what Hodjo is doing with his hips because I have a very big feeling that's where uh, the flat passes were coming from, not using his hips. And of course, when you use your hips, you're also bending your knee 
as well. Like, you, you're putting strength. Oh. Uh, so... With Hojo's history. Yeah. So, big, big thing there. Um, a lot of people had this thing with uh, bringing out how Dylan Brown would, would perform with Hodzo coming in because, of course, Hodgson can be that little manipulative hooker. He can kick. Uh, so if he was just not... If he was uh, doing that stuff, it would limit Brown in certain instances. I disagree. I think Brown can still get the ball. Uh, he looked as if he was roaming a lot. Mm. He was linking up with Guffo. Uh, not Guffo. Uh, Moses a little bit on both sides of the field, which is good to see. Uh, Guffo, I thought, was very good in this match. Uh, he had a couple good moments. Um, so very interesting. I, I, I think you can't write the Eels off just yet, as people were saying. Like, yes, mm. they have a couple of people they're missing, but you do not write them off. Uh, we could, they could be in for a season where they kind of slow down in the middle like they have previously, but they have come, come back up. Um, it all is just to see how they recuperate within that middle period, uh, especially around Origin. Agree completely. And even with the players they've lost, um, Hodgson, Hodgson, bringing in Hodgson to replace Marnie, there are much bigger gaps in quality that exist. Mm. Like, they could be replacing him with, like, Jake Turpin. <laughs> uh, not not to disrespect Jake Turpin, he play, he plays his job well. But we're talking about Josh Watson, who was a guy who was played hooker for the Eels, was arguably the one of the best hookers in the NRL for a period of time. Um, that archetype of what Reed Money is now is like Hodgson was playing that role, but arguably to a much more influential extent. And I think people do forget that because he hasn't been on the field for a bit. And developing match fitness is such a big part of fitness for a footy player as well, especially if you are playing in the middle. Like, you don't really just instantly jump out to being an 80-minute player, I don't think. Unless you're Hopgood. But I'd like to think that him, like Ruben Cotter, are very much completely different specimens. And you've got to um, think, um, Cotter had a big moment like throughout his time as a player where he did his knees as well and he had a lot of time yeah, exactly. to focus on his cardio and all that uh, Hopgood hasn't had that okay. he came from a system that strives on mentality he came through the Penrith system that ha- has arguably been the best system in the NRL for yeah, I'd agree. the past couple of years it could be in terms of how to play football ever. I agree um, this is yeah I, I think Hopgood will be a tremendous signing. Uh, I said it pre-season. Uh, well, after the Eels lost the grand final, it was one of the first posts I did. It was like, don't sell Eels short. They have Jermaine Hopgood coming. Big raps in this young fella. And he proved it. He smashed it uh, on Thursday night. Um, mm. he, and it, it doesn't come as tough as the Melbourne Storm. And yeah, exactly. Like good stuff, good shit. Yeah, no, well, incredibly hard competition to go against, and I think this is also the Eels without Madison at the moment, who is definitely going to bring a pretty big impact off the bench. Uh, for all criticisms that can be made of Madison and his attitude, he is an absolutely 
outstanding footballer, especially when he's playing in that ball-playing middle role. Um, on top of that, I yeah, I pretty much agree. I'm not willing to write the eels off because even though Papali'i is a massive loss, Hopgood's also a massive gain. Oh, and Dury looked okay on the weekend as well. I'm not going to say he looked amazing, but he, he definitely played his role. Um, and he's someone that I think will improve over the space of the year as well. If he does continue to play in that second row role, I'm not really sure what Eel's plans are with their edge and their middle forwards because they've always been a team that I've struggled to understand what their plan is because one week you think that they've got something going and then they kind of just switch it up the next week. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, as for the Storm, they... Melbourne Storm, the people that they lost had a very great performance in their respective games, except for Brandon Smith. Um, the people that they gained and brought into the team, I thought Eli Katoa looked fantastic. Oh, he was so, really good. Like, people were shitting on him because of his ball handling, but he had some good moments. Uh, he also had a subpar three. He, he had a two point something play to ball speed as well. Well, that's that's pretty good. Um, that's that's exactly what you want, especially from a second rower. You're coming onto the edge, you want to be as quick as you can because if the rock markers aren't getting onside when you're coming around that, just inside that scrum mark and between the goalposts, the ruck markers aren't coming in quick enough. What that means is they're not going to be able to get the right numbers on the edge and that's how overlaps are created. Um, I think whenever I'm doing play analysis, the two big things that come out as like the main reasons for overlaps happening are bad reads from the centers and second rowers, but also just not having the market, not having the numbers because ruck markers get caught up. Yeah. I would like to also point out a lot of traffic went his way. Uh, 42 tackles he had to make. He missed four. Um, so that's all right. He actually also made 117 run meters and he made 49 post contact and he played for eight, the entire game. I thought he was impressive. He had um, some good moments in the trial against Warriors like with that line break. I don't think you... I, I, I think you keep him on the right edge with Hughes. Trent Lorero may be swapped out for a uh, Tariq Sims come soon? Does Tyreek Sims play this week? Mm. No. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll need to check the Storm checklist. I only checked about half of them. Um, but there are there are some exciting things about team lists to get to as well later in the show. I agree. Um, speaking about teams, okay. Th- this got pointed out to me. This is the Eels' mm. first... Five. Are you ready? Yep. Melbourne, Cronulla, Manly, Penrith, Chooks. Yikes. That's a fucking hard first month. Yeah, I. that's probably one of the hardest draws in the NRL, to be honest. Not only that's, that... Yeah, wow. The, the Manly, Penrith and Roosters... When they play them, they're coming off buys. Oh, wow. 
That's fucking tough for anyone. You're playing Canola, which is one of the best teams last year. You're pl- and then you're playing Manly, fresh off a bye, a Turbo who now has a game behind him, DCE coming off, coming off a spectacular game. The following week, you're playing a grand final rematch off a team who had the bye previously, who are starving for a win after they've lost two in a row, St. Helens versus and Broncos. And then you're playing Chooks, who are looking a bit scratchy at the moment, but are still heavyweight contenders. Wow. Explain that, NOL. <laughs> like, oh, I was, yeah, I, I don't know how the draws, I don't know how they that, come up all, with them, but that's... And on top of that, they're all Thursday night games. <laughs> Jeez. Except Cronulla, who played Friday. Wow. Well, it's no more Friday Night Broncos. It's the Thursday Night Eels. Yeah. Oh, and then... uh, That's a very... If you listened to us last year, you would know that the Eels... Uh We said that uh, Eels playing on a Monday was a curse. They're playing on Easter Monday again against the Tigers. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's when... Against the Tigers, too. Yeah, that's when Hastings kind of came up and was like, yeah, fuck you all, and killed the Eels that game. When he came back from suspension. That was that was a fascinating performance. Oh yeah, it was. I loved that. We loved it. Um <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the Eels first couple of weeks. That's a bit tough. Um But in saying that, Storm didn't look flashy as well. They had a lot of errors in them. Uh big big balls on Munster to come back in the second half after a compound fracture. Yuck. Yeah, jeez. As Brandy Have said... Have you seen photos of it? Oh, yeah. I loved it. Oh, it's it's horrifying. Oh, I fucking loved looking at it. It was fun to look at. <laughs> um, As Dr. Brandy said at halftime, he shouldn't come back on because of risk of infection. Where I do see that. Uh, fuck, it was heavily strapped. And he's going to miss three to four weeks now, which is going to be a huge loss. I thought uh, Cam was the breakout player for Melbourne in that game. Uh, I don't know how they go without Cam in the second half. Yeah, no, well, I thought, obviously, he played magnificent. That's Everyone thinks that because it's Cameron Munster. But his kicking, he just looks so sharp in that aspect of his game as well. He was placing the ball everywhere he needed to go. Um Jerome Hughes, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. There's times where I kind of, like... I don't really know what type of a half Hughes is. But... Because, like, there's games where it feels like he is just such a great ball runner, and then games where he comes across as a great organiser, kicker. Yeah. But he... I feel, He's just... He's similar to Hines in that regard, I think. He just does it all so well. Versatile. He can do every everything a good seven can do, everything a good six can do. And he's just such an asset to that Melbourne team. And he's an absolute joy to watch, um, especially with the reads that he makes when he's just digging into the line. An absolute gun player. 100%. And it's something that a lot of people forget. He was a fullback before he was a half. 
Uh, I don't know what mm. it's with Melbourne and making fullbacks halfbacks. Maybe uh, Bulldogs should have taken a... Well, they're making halfbacks fullbacks too with Hines. Yeah. Well, Hines was, I think he was a six in Intra Super Cup. Yeah, fullback. And then he got into the fullback role. Yep. So, yeah. Doggy should have taken a note from Melbourne and to how to make Jake Everillo a seven. Back <laughs> a couple of years ago. Um, but before we move on to the next game, we're going to introduce a little segment called... War Games! War Games. So, this is our little segment uh, where... We introduce, like, our play of the week. So this is my one. It was actually the Eels' first try. And we're going to post the second yep. one uh, because Jacob, if you didn't know, posts uh, things called chessboards on the Cowboys Discord. I don't know if you do it on Reddit. I think you do. It's on the Stampede, but it's not on Reddit. Okay. It's so the Cowboys Stampede forum, where they mostly originate from. Yep. Okay. So there you go. Um... They're going to post the Dolph, uh, the Canberra versus Cowboys one this week if he, if he, if you like. Um, so yeah. this is my little one. That won't be the one I focus on though. Okay, good to know. Uh, all right, let's get into my one. Hopgood is Hopgood and Hodson is what really evolved this play. Uh, he had a lot. Hopgood had a lot of involvement during this set. Uh, which really set them up. Um, his offload to Brandon really started it. So, but it was also Hodson that saw the number of players. Like he's really good at counting players on edges and where to go. Uh, with that, he only sees four defenders on there on the Melbourne's left edge. So what does he do? He passes straight to Barlow to run a direct line, setting it up doing, you know, just a hit-up. Uh, this then makes three players, three defenders on the Melbourne left edge after the play the ball. Uh, with that, Wishart is now on the field because this is when Cam Munster was off. Uh, Dory mm-hmm. runs a lead at Wishart, which Wishart goes to defend. Uh, but it is actually Guffer running a lateral line to behind Dory, which is where Hodgson passes to him. Uh, with that lateral line, Guffo is actually able to brush off Remus Smith. And then before Coates jams in, he's able to offload to Penicini, allowing um, Penicini to score before he's wrapped up by anyone else. So great little setup there by the Eels. I thought it was really smart. Uh, that's what you got Hodgson to do. He's a very intelligent player. He knows how to read numbers. He knows where people need to be. And it's also just really good shape from Guffo to know what type of line he needs to run, which he he ran a lateral line because he saw the overlap. Fuck, he had three people. He had Smith, Coates, and Richard. That's all they had to defend. It was a four... It was like a five on three at one point. So really good stuff from Eels. I thought their playmaking on that set was really good. And it was Hopgood that uh, really started it. Yeah, no, well, it was, I think that was one of the more fascinating things about the way that Para utilize it. And I think it'll be interesting to see what uh, Madison's role is when he comes into the team. Because it seems like Hopgood really plays that 80-minute ball-playing lock role really well. But it's it feels weird to call him ball-playing lock because it's like a Paddy Carrigan situation yeah. where he's also just so good at running the ball. 
Well, with like that, he's he, yeah. When let's say because okay, RCG plays less minutes than um Barlow. So do you reckon when RCG comes off, Madison comes on, and you just shift Hopgood to that? Forward pack, uh, front row forward, or where, where do you actually play Madison and Hopkins? Because I, I think they should have them both on at the same time. It'll be fucking brutal for teams in the middle because they're just going to chop them up. Yeah, well, the chance also exists of Madison playing on an edge because he plays second row as well. So it's, I genuinely have no idea what's going to happen, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what does happen. Hundred hmm. percent. Um, well, with that, let us move on, as we now have the first Friday night game, Warriors versus Newcastle. Uh, this is where the controversy set in, and I'll allow Jacob to take over here. What do you think about the controversy that surrounded this game? So, a lot of it is coming off when Kalen Ponga was taken off for a head injury assessment later in the game. Now... The people who aren't happy with this are obviously Knights fans and the Knights coach, Adam O'Brien, because when it happens, it was at a crucial point in the game where Ponga, one of the Knights' star players, they wanted him on the field. But he got taken off. Ponga says that he wasn't concussed. Um, But the reason that he was taken off was because it appeared that there was a head hit. uh, And... He has an extensive history of head injuries. Now, I think that given the NRL's duty of care to players and also trying not to get sued, it makes sense that they're going to be taking players off whenever a player, especially one with extensive head injury um, history, is showing symptoms. Because Yuma Ponga, this is his first game since taking time off at the end of last year for his head injuries. And he also... Uh, had a questionable, a few questionable decisions during his recovery as well, um, in terms of off field. So with that incident with Kurt Mann, so I think hey, that buying my house, man, just <laughs> just celebrating. But yeah, I think that despite the controversy, the refs made a good decision. If you see a player staying down on the field with an extensive head injury history, as Ponga was, I do think that they're right to take him off the field. Even if it was milking, even if, you know, it turns out they weren't concussed. Because I'd rather take, like, the one in five chance of a player not being concussed and being taken off than the other reality, which is a guy is concussed and doesn't get taken off. You know, I do think in the situation of head injuries, especially, it's better to be safe than sorry. Especially because we're coming off the year after where we had um, the tragic loss of Paul Green's life. And then the subsequent finding that he suffered from one of the most severe cases of CTE that the person looking at it had ever seen. So when we're dealing with that kind of information, I do think it's imperative that players are taken off if it does appear that they have a head injury. Even though it is generally subconcussive knocks, to my knowledge, that do cause CTE, when you do see something at that level where it's a concussion, it's not worth frying their brain even more. So I don't think that, um, I honestly don't think the Knights should be complaining because another thing I want to add is that if a game comes to the point where having a player off for 15 minutes is the sole thing that swings it, then 
there's probably issues in your team being that one-dimensional as well. 100%. And as you uh, mentioned beforehand, Ponga has a big history. Uh, yeah. It's a dangerous history. Uh, there's been multiple times where he's been concussed several weeks in a row. And yep. as you mentioned, Paul Green last year. And I asked this question to Adam O'Brien and every Knights fan there. You are playing five. You are paying five million dollars for this bloke for five years. Are you willing to yep. have? It's now less than a tenth, but let's just say it's still ten million dollars. Are you willing to have ten percent of your salary cap be in at one player who is injured for half the season because of head knocks? Because you could have avoided avoided it. Your answer is probably going to be no. Yeah. Your answer is going to be, I'd rather take him off for 15 minutes instead of five games. Exactly. And that's what it is at the end of the day. Because if a guy gets concussed and then they hit their head again, then it like, it's obviously not going to be good for the human brain. And so that's that's part of the reason why. Because what would happen, and you can see this, um, though I think it was 2009 Bulldogs versus Eels or somewhere roundabouts. You can see, uh, I think it was Sam Parrott who just got knocked out cold when either scoring a try, something like that. And he's back on the field and playing. Luke Patton goes through a similar thing where he suffers like a very obvious concussion or head knock or something that would be considered like you'd be pulled off and not put back on. But this is as recently as like uh, just over a decade ago where guys would suffer concussions mid-game and then be sent straight back on because that was just how they did things. Yeah, it's... I'm glad it's come as far as it has come uh, recently, uh, especially with the retirements of Boyd Cordner and Jake Friend recently. Uh, mm. Luke Keery is one with a lot of uh, history with it as well. So I'm glad that the independent doctor is there because it, it, it isn't a thing needed. Uh, yeah. If you leave it back to clubs, uh, it's not going to go well. And this is no. something... Because not to speak over, but Ricky Stewart made the comment that, do you think that I would leave a guy on the field if he was concussed? Um, The terrible news for Ricky Stewart is that there is a very, very high chance he has probably done that in his career. Yes. Um, I think, was he, I believe, was he coaching the Roosters when uh, Craig Wing said he played a game that he did not remember because he had a head knock? I can't remember if Stewart was coaching that, but um, Rendon, yeah, that's what year was this? Roosters. Uh, I feel like if you just Google Craig Wing head knock, then I guess that'll tell us what year it was. But it's it like you look at the history of some players with concussions, and <laughs> the NRL's own history with the amount of players who have been quite clearly concussed in games, then it's like... I think it was a well-intentioned comment from Ricky Stewart that was not grounded in reality. It's... Yeah. I'm sure that he would... It, it's an... Like, we all know what Ricky can say in a press conference. He's a fucking idiot. I love the bloke, but oh my god. Look. I, I, I think it was just well-intentioned, but... Um, not probably not correct. I think that if you look at the history of it, I 
have zero doubts that Aguilar would have suffered concussion symptoms at one point and continued to play, not even like on purpose from Ricky, but just because rugby league has long been a game where that stuff happens before the independent doctor. Because like 90% of the time, players, you know, they're not going to be like, oh, no, I can't play because they want to be out there regardless of their injuries. You know, this is why we see players having like stupid amounts of painkillers before games because no matter what's happening, they want to be on the field playing footy. 100%. Um, the feed has done it. Ar- Dry Arrow has done it. It's the health of a player has never been more base now than ever, uh, of course, because we had Andrew Vafita. He's a big stepping stone of it. Uh, I'm glad yes. he has brought it to light. It'll be... In terms of NRL's hardship fund as well, the players have been advocating for. Yep. Which I think it's. I think it is horrendous of the NRL to be doing literally everything it can to get out of increasing the length and pool for the hardship fund. Oh, I'm saying it's a bit dumb. Um, they, they they need it. They hundred percent need it. Um, absolutely. So where does this go? I honestly don't know. I I think there's always going to be drama surrounding this because clubs don't look look. They don't want to lose a player for fifteen minutes, but they can and they will. Yeah, it, they're going to be forced to, and they need to adapt to that, and they need to realize, all right. This is what's happened. We have to deal with it now. Continue on. Uh, you can complain about it all you want, but until something... But until someone like gets very hurt on the field because of it, coaches won't stop complaining, in my opinion. Even then, people will go back to complaining. It's, it's an unfortunate cycle. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter how many times, like... Because whenever... Guys like Kiri or Cordner or um, just any Ponga have a head knock. It's always about the player's history. Yeah. But imagine if it was like... Because it has been significantly worse than this before in terms of the protocols that existed. Except the difference was players would just go straight to hiding the symptoms and they'd get right back on the field. Go and rewatch any games from like the 80s and 90s. How many times, like if you watch old Raiders games, um, how many times have guys taken like the most obvious head knock in the world and when they're wobbling and they just continue to play? Yeah. It's um, a bit mind-blowing, to be honest. But, yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about some actual footy now. So, Waz yes. really impressed me a lot. Um, I thought... Red Egan was really good. Uh, a lot mm. of people forget how good he can be. Uh, a little fun fact, Waz had six more line breaks than the Knights. It was actually eight to one, uh, eight to two, sorry, in line breaks. Wow. Yeah. I also, I, I think Knights kind of lost it through the middle, I would say. Um, mm. Tohu Harris... Very impressive. I'll get up his stats. What a game. Yeah. Uh, 51 tackles. And this was his little... So he was playing lock. He played 80 minutes. This is a bloke who did his ACL only a year and a half ago. And he's playing 80 minutes. Uh, 145 run meters. uh, 24 post contact. Which is 
15 hit-ups, and then run offload, and then 51 tackles, two misses. So he was an absolute workhorse. Oh, great leader! Like, he... and not not just a workhorse, but he was incredibly skilled. Hundred percent. Yeah, uh, good ball player. Um, got a couple of line breaks. The Barnett line break was really impressive. Impressive. Barnett was very close to Beautiful. scoring. Another thing was, I think Sean Johnson had an okay game. Yeah, I think there were times where it seemed like it wasn't going too good, but he didn't. He didn't really ruin it. He got plenty of ball. I was a bit surprised by Tamari Martin's lack of involvement. Well, not really. I don't think surprise is the word because I kind of like you do see it coming if you saw how he played at the Broncos. He's a brilliant player, but he's not like a get the ball his hands fifty times type of player. Yeah. Um. I so actually Johnson did most of the kicking and. For someone that we kind of criticised a little bit last season because of his kicking, he actually did okay. He did 17 kicks for 388. He actually did six bombs, three grubbers, and one forced dropout. Uh, one went dead, which is... Mm. Uh, it's not what you want. No. Uh, I will say someone else who did really well was... Chinese Nico Klostad. He was outstanding. 204 run meters from 19 runs, 34 post contact, three tackle breaks, two offloads. He gained the ball, he received the ball 26 times. He played and he scored a try. I think uh, something that will be very useful with Chinese will be his support running through the middle. We, you said it yourself last year I believe and you, you said he didn't make the best uh, decisions uh, but you would know more than me because you watched a lot more New South Wales knock on effect um, I'll be, I'm very interested to see how this Warriors side goes someone mentioned to me this was a, a fan's opinion, they will make the 8 that's what a fan said bold? very bold bold but I like it I like it too. Uh, a lot of signings, and with their new coach, I could probably see it. Like uh, Andrew Webster, yeah. I like what we've seen from Webster. Uh, I think he could be good. I think uh, we could see some great things. Uh, adding Dylan Walker was good to this squad because he got that 14 who was so versatile through the middle. Sure, he started a little shit with... Um, Miller I think it was someone because he didn't like the way Egan got tackled even though it was like legal as all hell um, but you know he's a funny little firecracker Dylan Walker so good to see we have characters in this game and it's good to see we do because uh, this is what Guru said everyone wants a character into rugby in rugby league until we have them yeah I'd agree um so yeah, good little insight by Guru. Uh, Walker played 45 minutes. I think that's what you want Walker to play. He got 113 run meters throughout the game. Uh, mm-hmm. 
his pass to run ratio was 1.64. So he made 18 passes. So you can see he was ball playing throughout the middle. Um, good to see. I, I honestly can't wait to see how these boys go because they're back home. Like they're they're fully back home now. There's no literal. We're going to be in quarantine for six months. They're they're fully back home. They play Chooks at Allianz this uh, Saturday, so it'd be interesting to see how they go there. Uh, so it'd be good. I think uh, Rowers are someone a team to look forward to. I think they could be the bottom of the top eight. Uh, it just all, but like we said, it's going to be a competitive season. Um. Talk about competitive, though, with this next game. Broncos versus Penrith. Didn't see that coming at all. No. Uh, well, there was. I just wanted to add one last thing okay. about the previous game. Uh, the Knights' attacking shapes, a lot of them were very stagnant. Uh, Ponga did a decent job creating an attack when he got the ball, but he, he felt a bit Scott Drinkwater-like um, with his defense in the line versus his attacking prowess. But the focal point of the attacking shapes of the Knights was Jackson Hastings. Not just at first receiver, but also they would have him connecting with the line runners a lot of the time. I don't like that. I really don't like that. Because Hastings is not hes not an outstandingly creative player. The role you want him playing is just giving good ball to a second receiver. And that's not what the role AOB has... is not the role that AOB has assigned to him. And I think that that is not going to help the um, Knights this year. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be um, another thing submitted by a fan that AOB will probably be sacked mid-season, possibly. But he's on the open market as a a, um, coach with not a lot of people at the moment. but shall we go to this Broncos versus Penrith game? Yes. All right. Now's a good time for it. So, so, 10 minutes into the first half, and you think, okay, yeah, it's going to be... Penrith have... Penrith are going to win. That's what I was thinking. Like, they, they were in control for the first 10 minutes. Uh, in fact, they had... The time of possession was 31 minutes to 27 Penrith rate in this game. They had 54 possession rate, Penrith. Uh, but what I loved was first, the forwards of Broncos, Paddy Cowgan, Payne Haas, workhorses throughout the middle, 50 tackles by Paddy Cowgan, 207 run metres by Payne Haas. Outstanding. And when you look at it, Herbie Farnworth was just wow. He scored both tries for Broncos, uh, 154 run meters, 52 post contact. He got a line break, four tackle breaks and three hit-ups. So he was getting through that work off the uh, kick returns. Must say, beautiful pass by, I think it was Reynolds, to, uh, to open, to get the first try. It was, like, I'm watching it back now after this ad ah, by Kia they were they played very they played a very deceptive 
and it, it was Reynolds. So what Reynolds does is it's fifth, and he, he gains the ball 10 metres out. He's on the left edge. He has C- Caperell wrapping up in, wrapping inside of him, and then he's got Farnworth and Oates on his outside. This is Reynolds. What Reynolds does to Cleary is very impressive as he actually looks as, as if he's going to grab her into the in goal, and you actually see Edwards scoot like come come across the line, and Toho is also preparing for it as he's not going to he's not jamming in he's preparing for it. Another thing is that Crichton is right going for the intercept. But with Reynolds going for the pass, it catches everyone off guard, including Edwards, because he's still in lateral movement, going to the outside of, the, going towards the sideline, and Farnworth is just able to cut back in and score. So, great little playmaking by Reynolds himself. Farnworth with the great line. What he, I think what really happened in this game was that Broncos didn't outplay Penrith. They did at Penrith. They gr- they were in the grind all game. I'm willing to agree. And Payne Haas not having busted shoulders has pretty massive dividends for them. Um, then you, I think Jordan Ricky actually had a pretty good game too by his usual standards. And you mix that with the fact that the outside backs all played brilliant. Um, Jesse Arthurs did the small things so, so well. Uh, Stags in defense too. Obviously, Stags went off at some point. He was cramping. He was incredibly limited in attack. Uh, he, he just did not do much in attack. But defensively, you know, he was making great reads. He looked calm. He looked composed. He was saving tries. He was diffusing kicks at every point he needed to. It was a very impressive showing from Tony Stags coming back uh, from the shoulder reconstruction. I agree, and just looking at the stats, like, if I had shown someone the stats without a scoreline, I would reckon they would say, oh, yeah, Penrith run. Uh, this is Penrith stats. 250 all runs compared to Broncos 173. 2,000 to 1,600. Yeah. Penrith to Broncos. Yeah. What really got Broncos into this was their kicking... Uh, and I thought, uh, especially by Reynolds, uh, 759 kick meters from Broncos, 426 from Penrith. And yeah. not only that, it was the kick defusal that both teams had. Broncos had better kick defusal, uh, whereas Penrith only had 40% of their kicks. To, they defused only 40% of the kicks. I also yeah, think... Yeah, it was... Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. go um yeah it was just i think broncos they it was specifically their defensive efforts that helps them win this game uh we can talk about because like herbie farnworth had like i couldn't draw a better game from the center uh constantly getting himself involved constantly just doing everything that he needed to and once again he just he just looks so calm and composed in defense making his reads i i, I agree uh, there's that one little play where they got fanned out on the edge. That was the first try by Penrith. Uh, Stephen Crichton's. They got <laughs> they got uh, bamboozled on that left edge. The 
Broncos did, yeah. but uh, they came back. Cobo did, yeah, pretty poorly there too. He has, like, he has no acceleration. I don't think, and his lateral defense is In... really bad. Yeah. Um, which I think. I mean, he himself says that he doesn't see himself as a fullback. Um, he sees himself as a winger. He's happy to play there. I don't understand the constant obsession with shoehorning him to fullback. I think because I watched a fair bit of Winner Manly when he was playing fullback for them, and he was an absolutely brilliant player. But for all the Greg Inglis and Latrell um, comparisons, I honestly think the best comparison to how he plays at fullback is Justin Hodges. Um, <laughs> When I rewatch Justin Hodges and when I watch games of Latrell playing full, uh, not Latrell, um, Selwyn playing fullback, it, it does feel very similar in terms of not really being a ball player, but more of just taking it straight up the middle, yeah, and just being a power fullback if anything. Yeah, hundred uh, percent, um, and that's what makes him so great off those kick returns when he's playing wing because he's very powerful. He hits tackle breaks. He can eight, yeah. he, he can get some kick returns. What what didn't go Broncos away? I thought was when um, Sonny Luke came on. So Sonny only played a little bit. Uh, if I have a look at it, he only played twenty six minutes, and in that twenty six minutes, I think that's when Broncos got put to a wire. They got they they kind of struggled throughout the middle. Um, this is the biggest question surrounding it. Does how much do you let Sonny play next this week? I think you put Sonny on for sixty minutes. He I is he ready? I personally don't know. Um but you want to repeat this effect of the Mitch Kenny and Appy situation, but you're not having that Appy stimulus. You're not allowing that happy stimulus mm. to come on the field. You're only having that Kenny stimulus. So you can't get that fast rock speed, that manipulative from your hooker if that hooker isn't on the field. Uh, I think Tim Sheen's tried to recreate that this week, but we will get to that later. Yeah. I th- Sonny needs more minutes. I think that's how Penrith will win throughout the middle. I think Kenny... Is a good defensive hooker, but he's not a great uh, offensive hooker. Offensive hooker. Yeah, I agree. Um, another person they missed was Kickow, kick pressure, uh, line running, able to just put genuine pressure on the defensive line. That's something they missed. Um, having Luke Garner there, he only played fifty minutes. Yeah, um, and then. Salmon came onto the field to play in that second rower area. There's a couple times where the left edge didn't look as coordinated, and that's going to happen when a key player leaves that edge, and that's that's why second rowers are so important. Like your half and second rower have to have a connection. Uh, so a bit interesting to see there, and a lot of people were talking about the little argument or biff. Luai and Salmon had after the game. I don't know if you saw it, you saw it, but you've probably seen it on the Instagram feed. Yeah. 
own each other up to high standards, question them, but do it in the sheds. I, I saw Willie Mason's take saying, Semen has no right. Semen does have a right to talk to Luai like that as well. If Luai comes in and starts talking and yelling, that's not going to be a team effort. Um, don't do it in front of cameras. That's yeah. when Paul Kent, that's when all the, these little medias, this is when us have a field day because they're just going to pick apart and laugh at these guys. If you have a problem with yeah. the player, keep it behind closed doors. It's just going to cause so much uh, shit for your team throughout the media that you don't need. Now, on that topic, and this is... So the actual argument itself, I don't think is any enormous problem because teammates will always hold each other accountable. Uh, you know, there's plenty of stories about the sprays that Jonathan Thurston would be giving people on the field. Um, that's just something that happens in competitive sports. However, one one of the things that came across was that Jamin Salmon said he was too tired to run a certain line. What? Um, yeah. You paid for And minutes. how long... Exactly. Which is um, quite um, concerning. Like if you're yeah if if you're a second off the bench and this is I understand Luai's frustration if your second rower says you're too tired to make a certain effort because he's obviously come off playing with Kikau who is excellence in the second row position um, so for that to be the topic of it like I understand why Luai was very frustrated there. And I wouldn't be surprised if that is some form of um, thing that Penrith have to talk about because obviously they haven't dropped salmon or anything. But mm. wow, like too because tired? you can you yeah yeah, which is really not like you're you're at the you're at the highest level of the NRL. Um, if you're an impact single, you've you've got to. Like I no, can't imagine got, because got a dog play. Yeah, well, because you're a team full of champions who's been going for two years. I can't imagine there being a time where um, Dylan Edwards would have said he was too tired. Um, I don't think that guy. Well, he, Dylan Edwards absolutely gets tired, but he sure as hell doesn't act like it. No. Um, and I think that's the same with a lot of other champions in their respective positions. So for that to be, you know, there is, I think that Luai is in the right to be trying to get some accountability out of him there. Because if no one ever um, questioned that, and that was the standard that you walked past at Penrith, then you're probably not going to be three-peating. 100%. So I'm actually, I'm actually very much um, good argument. Rare time that I'll agree with Paul Gallen. Um, it happens. Yep. It happens in competitive sport. Everyone is very serious, holding your teammates accountable. But Salmon saying he was too tired, that, that is, just, I would say, interesting. That's piss weak. It's, ah. I, would, I would just call it interesting. I'm not going to make too many criticisms. It was like I'm literally just sitting here on my bed talking about this. I'm not a professional athlete. Hell, I would probably get too tired too. <laughs> but it's just the fact that, like, 
he said it. It's from what yeah, from what you read about some champion coaches and athletes in this game, they do not come across as the guys that would ever say they were too tired for anything. Yeah. Well, with on that, let's move to our next game, and it's uh, Manly versus Doggies. Um, fuck yeah, Manly did good. Like, unfortunately, I was at work, so I couldn't watch the entire game. However, I got updates throughout the game, and from what I heard, Manly were good. Um, And it looked as if... I also heard that Turbo was a bit... um, he, he He didn't gain the confidence back fully on running or getting into certain players, I hear. Uh, you may say otherwise, which I'm open to hearing, because I didn't watch it, so I didn't watch all of it. Hmm. What what I also, uh, looking at the stats, 65% completion rate from, from the doggies. Uh, obviously... Horrible. Horrible. Holy crap. Um, and it shows in the possession where Manly had 55% of the ball. Uh, also looking at it, six line breaks for Manly, 29 tackle breaks. Uh, all run meters was 400 ahead of Doggies. Interestingly, however, both teams' kick defusal was less than average. They didn't even crack 50%. Hmm. So, well... Rob- Watching the KO Mini and the highlights, I noticed something very particular about the doggies, and that was Reed Marnie. His leadership throughout the game was very uh, prominent. It was something that you noticed straight away. Uh, ran, yep. I think, was it Boy of? I think when it was someone got turned on their back. I think it was Jerbo. The first person who started talking and yelling was Reed Marnie. So that obviously you've brought a hooker that is a phenomenal player, but also a great leader, which also ties into our little um, our opinion that the hooker problem was the least of it, the Bulldogs' problems, and it was more of a handling the ball situation, and as well, uh, fixing the small areas. Uh, Looking at it, this is negative play. Nine penalties conceded, three ruck infringements, 15 errors. Yeah. You can see Um, why they lost 31-6. Yeah, exactly. Well, there were just... There were too many lapses in concentration and ability, and well, not really ability, but more just decision making. The reason that I raise this hooker point is like the hot take of the round. It it actually has nothing to do with Reed Money and everything to do with the guy who left, uh, Jeremy Marshall King. So Reed Money, obviously, he was a gun player and he played his absolute guts out. Yeah, he did absolutely everything he could have. I don't think, if, if you're going to point fingers at anyone, obviously you won't do that because it's a team effort. But if you had to, it's not going to be Reed Marnie. Um, there were other issues with that team. Like, for example, why is Burton giving the ball to kick out on fifth tackle when he's in his own half? 
Um, the the four hour errors from Burton as well. He just he had a shocker in general. Um, then you also want to start raising questions about because their their play in the middle was absolutely horrible. They got rolled over by that manly pack. Olakuatu uh, was just he was all over them. Jerbo was all over them. He had a great game. It was just literally everyone in that manly pack was just all over them. Yeah. Um, Alaya coming off the bench, he he had played well, and I don't even particularly rate him. So obviously missing Pangai Junior definitely is not great for the Bulldogs because even with his brain lapses, he you know he does take the ball off the middle and he gets you forward. Um, also, Kikat had an incredibly slow play to ball, four point five seconds. Yeah, which is not what you want from a second rower at all. He was pretty much... I think it also raises... it. The pairing of Burton and Kikau is a bit of a weird one because Luai and Kikau, they both missed each other heaps. Luai missed that barnstorming second rower that attracted defensive attention that allowed him to make the reads and play his style of footy. Kikau missed having a 5'8 who actually sets up second rowers really well. Because that's like one of the biggest weaknesses in Burton's game. You know, he doesn't. I I can't think of the last time that I saw Burton throw like a really nice line ball. Neither like, can it's, I. it's just the one thing. It's just like that one thing he doesn't have in his game, but it's also like a really big attacking weapon. Because we've spoken about this a couple times. Um, straightening the attack and compressing the defense with the inside ball. Uh, Sean Johnson trick where you play the middle a lot in the first half and then expand it more in the second half. Similar thing that lots of other players will do in terms of just wearing out the middle. Um, something I thought the Cowboys did heaps where even Dearden, like he was very reluctant to just throw cutouts. He always is. He just loves playing it up the middle. Um, Cohen Hess, he got lots of runs. So that's taking advantage of line runners is a very big deal in first grade football and it's something that I don't think Burton has and it like I think it will gel eventually but in these early rounds it might be a bit of a tough watch on that left edge for the Bulldogs I I agree and I, I like I know Serato is the coach and I, I have faith in Serato to turn this team around I think a lot of players a lot of coaches expected players to play like how they did last season at their other clubs. And like you said, there's no Luai for Kikau. There's no forward pack as like the Panthers for Appy. The Tigers forward pack isn't the Panthers forward pack. There's a lot of things where you need to adjust each other's game to suit them and then build on it. Um, talking to other people, and they, I agree with them, Great signings by the doggies, but you can't buy cohesion. And that's something they'll have to work on week in and week out for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I agree completely. And that's like genuinely the one thing that I just want to see. If I'm a Bulldogs fan, I want to see Burton throw the short ball. I just want to see, I want to see him throw the short ball, uh, start taking the game where he plays that... Luke Keary, Tom Dearden type role, because even though it's not his main game, it's something that every 5'8 needs in the game, I reckon. Like, you look yeah. at Jack Whiten, even though Jack Whiten's main strengths are running and kicking, I actually think 
one is a good mold of what Burton should be, um, or at least attempt to be. Like, play your own game, of course, but there, there are things you need to do as, like, in your role at a position. Um, like, start throwing that line ball. Start getting it to your second rowers and compressing the middle. Because I think that the Bulldogs relied so much on their bag of tricks with Fox and Burn, which was very exciting, mind you. Like, that was that was box office footy to watch. But it's not consistently winning footy. Um, so it'll be really fascinating to see how that combination gels, because I do think a lot of the Bulldog season will depend on it. Um, if you buy, if you invest the money that you have in Kikau, knowing his strengths, you need to get the most out of it. The way to get the most out of it is a 5-8 to consider their second rowers. Uh, we'll talk about this later with the Titans with Kieran Foran. Uh, he's another perfect example of a 5-8 who has that skill. So we look at um, what Dearden was doing with Gilbert and Luciano Lelua last year. What Foran's doing with Fafita now, but has always done with the left-edge second rowers at Manly. Um, we talk about what Kiri does with the left-edge second rowers at the Roosters. So that's something that I think Burton is missing from his game, and it became achingly apparent in that first round. I agree. Um, something definitely is... De- they have the notes now. They know how to improve. Once again, they're going to... Uh, but issue is, they're going up against Storm this round, um, so that's going to be a big test for them. I don't think they win it, uh, personally. It will be... Interesting to see if they have improved on those little areas that they needed to, especially with the kick-out stuff. Um, blows my mind why they didn't just kick it on the fifth and just gave it the kick-out. Um, but yeah, definitely signs to improve, but in all fairness, things are looking good. It just needs to be on the right track. A straight line just needs to be created now. Uh, yeah. Looking at Manly, however, this is uh, the cooked suggestion of the week. This is one of our latest inclusions for the podcast. Uh, we we got a bit cooked last season at times, so we're going to add it to a uh, weekly thing. Our cooked suggestion of the week is that we are all wrong about Seabold. Now, this was Jacob's little uh, inclusion, and I'm going to let him take it away. So... Let's go back to Anthony Seabold's first NRL head coaching gig at the South Sydney Rabbitohs. So he won Daly M Coach of the Year, and he went pretty deep in finals footy with the Rabbitohs at this point. Um, a lot of the play design at the Rabbitohs came across through him, I'm pretty sure, uh, specifically how they utilised Sutton as a ball-playing middle and, well, not really a middle, but just a ball player in attacking shapes, and how that kind of developed into how Murray gets used today. Now, his attacking shapes, uh, they're, they're pretty complex. Um, they're running, like, these double block plays with, like, lead jockeys that, like, wrap around first receiver and just all kinds of absolutely wacky little inventions that make it so hard to read as a defensive line. Now, you move him to Broncos, where there's a lot of internal turmoil about how Wayne Bennett left the club, and I think that a lot of people did want Kevin Walters to coach because they wanted an old boy in, 
but also so much was like thrown away to get Seabold and it was just there was so much turmoil in club politics. Uh, add that to the fact they did not really have a um, halfback who was able to communicate Seabold's really complex shapes and game plans to the team. Uh, you have Tom Dearden, who was like 18, 19 at the time, who got thrown into a seven jersey for his debut. Uh, someone who was 18 and 19 should be learning their game in Q-Cup. They should not be running one of the NRL's most complex attacking shape systems. So there was a lot that went wrong with the Broncos, especially in terms of team culture. But I think that as soon as Seabold gets to a team with uh, an experienced halfback, like with DCE, and a good leader of a team like Jake Trebojevic. I think that it, it, given his history at the Rabbitohs, I think we were wrong to assume that it was going to go that badly, especially with the return of Turbo as well. Yeah, look, I, I think... Um, what's interesting is that Seabog came into the same thing that he did at the Broncos that we fought. A lot of turmoil mm-hmm. at the club. Uh, the Manly yep. Seven, uh, Hasler leaving, uh, Tommy Tavoyevic getting injured, and Dan Hafford in America. So he he had a lot of pressure. Um, I think he did well. They had a clear goal in mind, and they set out and they set out and completed it, which is good to see. Seabold, mm. we all loved you and I loved his little um, weekly episodes of breaking down plays. They were very, very insightful. It was amazing. The game plan. It was amazing. 100%. Um, and now going to a club like that, he's able to use his footy brain on a representative halfback, a fullback who has who who will be an astonishing player and a, a former DM, a forward pack who is f- amazing at times. I think he'll utilize Jake Trebojevic how he should be utilized, and that is a prop forward. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this Manly side goes. They did really well, um, apart from a little couple of areas. Uh, that those, I think it was the kick defusal I mentioned. Yeah, kick defusal is something they'll work on, uh, as well as the uh, ineffective tackles. But I think a lot of people don't understand ineffective tackles helps sometimes and a little a little funny stat missed tackles yes ineffective tackles no missed tackles are kind of just like your straight misses you can still break up a play with a missed tackle and ineffective tackle is generally like allowing an offload yeah little um side note on this the bulldogs did 21 dummy passes So, are they referring to dummy passes as in dummy and run? Or I'm just like, that's a fucking lot of dummy passes if that's it. Wow. Yeah. Um, the play to ball speed, like, when we mentioned the forward pack, the play to ball speeds were very similar, as well as the average set distance. What I also liked about this game, though, is. The, like like you said, the attacking shape were, were, became different. Uh, DCE wasn't always the primary f- first receiver, nor was Turbo. 
like John's got first receiver and DC even at the back, and which allowed DC's running game to be shown. So Seabold mm. using that running game that can be so effective. Um, another thing that they did, which was really insightful, was when Kikau had the ball, they weren't targeting him. They were targeting the ball, the person that was going to receive the ball afterwards, and that was his outside center. So, rushing up on, I think it was Alamotti, proved really good because he got a couple knock-ons or he dropped the ball, the ball got forced out. Um, So, a couple of good defensive plays there from Manly. I really liked this, like seeing the Manly highlights and I want to see them just play some genuinely 80 minutes of good footy. Uh, this week they have the buy, so I'm going to have to wait another week. Uh, but when they do come back, they will actually have the Eels. So at Four Pines Park, so at um, Brookvale Oval. I can't wait to see how many they go. Uh, they're one of the most... They, I think out of the two teams that we've... Uh, of the Doggies and Manly, I think Manly are the team I'm most looking forward to see play out of the two. Yeah, I mean, I... I watched the Bulldogs with interest. I watched Manly with fascination, almost. Like, watching the Bulldogs is like, hmm, will these guys grow? Watching Manly is like, wow. Like, this is... Because Seabolt, this isn't like... In terms of attacking shapes, Manly were not throwing the kitchen at the Bulldogs. Like, we've seen them use more complex shapes in preseason, where Schuster was playing. Um... So I think when Schuster comes back, or maybe if they keep it with Jones on the side, it'll be really fascinating to see just how fascinating and um, complex these block plays that Seabolt designs will be. Because, like like I said, they did not throw the whole kitchen at the Bulldogs, and they still won really convincingly. Yeah. So when they do start throwing the whole kitchen at teams, I wonder how it's going to go. Uh, I think some teams with great defensive centres and great pressure from second rowers might be able to target the inexperience of Schuster. But I think that other teams with non-cohesive defensive edges, I think that those guys are going to probably be torn apart a bit. Especially with the space that it creates and the indecisiveness that some edge defenders see when they're thrown, when these attacking shapes are being thrown at them. Yeah, I agree. Um... Like you said, it's just going to be fascinating to see how many play, and I honestly can't wait. Um, another team, I'm like, I love them, but I, I really don't see them going well this year. We're going to move on to these boys now. Canberra versus uh, North Queensland. I was disappointed again. Um, obviously, Canberra came back in the second half, uh, but we still lost, unfortunately. I just think. That, lo- that our first half performance lost us that game. And on the back of that, Cowboys were lucky to not lose that game. And in the second half, I think both teams were one-half t- teams. Uh, Cowboys in the first, Raiders in the second. I'd agree. But I think the kicker comes out to how the tries were scored. Raiders played very so, simple footy. 
They they only yeah. scored off the back of Cowboys errors. They weren't very flashy at all. They were they played simple footy off the back of errors, whereas Cowboys were very flashy. I I thought. Um, I think it was less flashy and more planned, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of those that. tries, they pretty much all came off block plays or set plays of some sort. Um, the Chad kick to Drinky block play, uh, well, not block play, but it was planned. Um, or at least it was the idea of Drinky chasing after a grubber was planned because we've seen it. Um, Robson, he's obviously introduced his kicking game. That is a new element in the Cowboys' attack that is very exciting. thought that he had a nice kick that obviously deflected, but drink water chased, and obviously in footy, you make your own luck. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so, you try, um, which I did do an analysis of this one on the Cowboys forum, which, you know, we can post on the page if you like. Um, it's was built off what I thought was a fantastic Cohen Hess line and the angle of Drinkwater's line engagement. So we, they, Cowboys, they, they planned their tries, essentially. They, they came up with their tries. Whereas for Raiders, I think the tries kind of happened to them. Um, outside of the Gula try, that was just some brilliance by Starling. Yeah, that was really good. Um, I mean, when Starling comes on, the game does shift a little bit in momentum. Do you... So, just on, like, Cowboys and all that, is kick defusal still an issue for you? Absolutely. Um, It's, you know, we see it in the trials. Every single um, try that we concede in the trials was off a kick uh, against the Broncos. And then the short dropout was just an absolute disaster. Um, there was another lucky bounce, which just it's the second week in a row that's happened to us, which is really weird. So it's, I guess, other than not going for the short dropout in that game situation, and maybe just Nanai needs to be more active when defending in the line especially with line runners coming at him, targeting him. Other than that, I'm not really sure what the Cowboys can take away from the game um, because possession will always swing in ga- in NRL games. So I thought that the Cowboys did an absolutely amazing job at continuing to build the pressure. Chad's kicking game was outstanding. I thought his kicking actually kept us in the game in the second half. Um, but there's also like... That the impact off the bench is not what it was. No, holy uh, shit! That's that's simply up to other guys to step up. I thought Tamo had a decent cameo, but I expect him to play more than ten minutes this week against the Broncos. Uh, Griffin was okay. I think Grant yeah. was being grand. Neem, I thought Neem was fantastic. I, I actually thought the Neem was he was one of the better um, guys to come off the bench, and he's going to help us a lot especially in this this early time without Lukey. Yeah, and done. Um, all right, this is going to be our little fan opinion, the last one. So this, this uh, opinion comes from Liam Ryan. He believes that 
Jermaine uh, and I's tackling is an issue and it needs to be sorted quick, quicker rather than later. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, he's... No, that is a fascinating one. I couldn't outright call him a bad defender because his defensive pressure um, was one of the things that really helped us start plays towards the back end of the year. He was a key component of our right defensive edge. Um, however, there is that situation where when it comes to defending line up the middle, that's where the issues come off. We can defend the edge fantastically when they're going wide. We can't defend it as well when they're going up the middle. Uh, Nana looked very tired and it looks like a bit of a lazy effort from where it was defensively and that is something that needs to be improved. However, I want to point to a few things. Um, he had Nana had the issue with his line running at the start of last season and it was it was fixed. He ran much better lines at the end of the season that were targeting the inside shoulder. He wasn't giving away penalties and his line running in attacking shapes, was helping us score tries. Um, another thing, he had problems timing on his kick chases. When he was competing, sometimes he'd give away penalties. Um, he's fixed that with his timing. He didn't give away any penalties in the kick chase from timing this week. He didn't compete much either. However, in terms of the kick chase, he was always there. He was always one of the leading chasers, and he was putting in heaps of effort there. So what that shows us is that historically, Nanai is a very quick learner and he's very willing to learn and improve his game. So don't be surprised if this is something that towards the end of the season, we see Nanai become a much better tackler. Um, something that did concern me about Nanai though was that he did not get himself involved much attacking, no, attacking-wise. He was very quiet. Um, yeah, um, only 30-something one meters, I think, or four runs. Uh, yeah. that's that's an issue. Got to get him involved more. He's yeah, got great footwork that helps him. Great footwork that helps him get in the front work, front foot when it comes to his line running. We saw this in Origin when he was paired with DCE, and we need to see him and Chad building that combination they had at the end of last year. That really gets Nanai taking a large bulk of the run meters. Yeah, I agree. Um. It's going to be interesting to see how the Cowboys develop without these injuries. Of course, second row depth is very limited at the moment. Uh, and that forward pack off the bench is going to be limited. So the moment they can get uh, Dunn and Lukey back is going to be outstanding. Uh, Luciano, who knows when he's going to be back. Uh, he may still be a very big case in the middle of the season. Um was there anything else you'd like to mention before we move on to the next game? Um, Jermaine Tanua-Brown doesn't really do too much for us in attack off the bench. Um, it kind it just feels like he never played whenever he does play. And I think that, despite him being named, I think I'd like to see us have some more impact. I think Lukey coming back, if it means Hess comes off the bench or even if it means Hess rotates into the middle when Lukey comes on, I'd prefer that to having Tanoa Brown in the middle, just because we need the power of Hess. Um, and JTB just doesn't really have that to him. Like, even McLean, I thought he was running pretty hard. I thought McLean had a good game. But we need JTB to play in that mould of player, and he wasn't really running the way that you want a middle forward to when the other team is tiring. 
percent. It's going to be um, interesting to see how this bench plays out. Um, of course, that was one of the leading factors. So, going to be very, very interesting. Gonna, yeah, Cowboys look good, but match fitness is going to be something they can improve on. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Let, let's bring on uh, 2023 for the Cows. Next game, I don't have a lot to talk about, to be honest, except Ilias being outstanding for Rabbitohs. I thought he was great. Um, Moylan was a bit of the defensive. He missed um, a lot of tackles, I thought. He got isolated a little bit in attack uh, by the Rabbitohs. little side note, he was he missed the most, second most tackles last year. He missed 114 tackles altogether. 114 last season. Yep. That's a bit worrying because looking at Nenai stats, he's only missed, well, he's missed 100 in in the amount of time he's played. Um, And that's over two seasons, uh, two complete seasons. I will say, however, Moylan did have an excellent fully brain. There was a moment where uh, Latrell was in the defensive line and he did what he did against Broncos last season and was able to put a grubber in. So good, he he offers a lot with that defense, with the kicking uh, and having that eyes up. It's just how that he can limit the amount of missed tackles. Another thing that was good. For, another thing that was good for the Sharks was Kennedy, uh, William Kennedy. He created something out of nothing, and it's a great skill to have if you're a fullback to create something. If uh, nothing's going for that team at the moment, uh, he put a little kick in and he just ran the whole field. Good little thing to see from him. Yeah, I agree. Um, something else I want to note from the game was that um, Talakai, I didn't think he played particularly well, especially with his defensive efforts. There were lots of times where there was just way too much of a gap between him and Moylan, I felt, and that is what helped um, the Rabbitohs to isolate Moylan more. Um, yeah. Specifically, yeah, like there were times where he wasn't exactly jamming when I, it would make sense for him. He just did not look composed or like he was ready to make good defensive reads. He was just kind of randomly charging out at certain points when he didn't need to. And it just wasn't a great defensive performance. And it's something that I think Talakai needs to improve. I 100% agree. And that's what actually led to the Colin Matangi try where Talakai just jammed up on Graham for no particular reason. He didn't need to. Um, someone else had him covered. And it just allowed Konmatangi to just palm off more than so. Something that needs to be looked at by Talakai, especially in this game, because they are versing Eels. So he'll be up against Penasini and uh, Dory and Moses, who are known for, like, quick stuff. Um, Nico not being there, I don't think it affected them as much as we fought, I believe, because Trindle did an amazing job. Got a 40-20, did a majority of the kicking. I, I thought 
he did good. Um, would you agree? Yeah, I thought Trindle had some great moments. Um, I don't think I'd go as far as saying the Sharks didn't miss Hines as much, though, just because Hines is on another level. Yeah, that's true. Well, let, let's... Uh, we're getting a bit over here with time. So let's... Uh, Let's go on to a big game that everyone's talking about, and that's uh, Chooks versus Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins getting their first mm. ever win against the Roosters. Great stuff. Um, I think a lot of the stuff just didn't go over Roosters' way, not because of, like, ref or, like... But because of their own fault. Uh, a lot of drop balls. Uh, poor Matt Lodge. Holy crap, he literally has... A dimple in the side of his head the size of a golf ball. Holy crap, that must hurt. Um, I, I think Roosters were their own worst enemy. 68% uh, completion rate. On top of that, they, they got... Felice Cafusi hammered them all with the shots he put on. Holy crap. Mm. Well, apparently Cheese was getting a bit cheeky with him. And Kafusi went back to give him a talking to and gave away a penalty. But then after that, that's when he started putting the shots on. Oh, really? So that's... Yeah, so tough effort from Kafusi, But also, yikes from Cheese. Because, and... The Roosters, they're, they're a team that has prided them, themselves on playing like winners for a very long time. Uh, but I think that they played like losers on the weekend, to be honest. Um, constantly dropping the ball. They just, they weren't playing hard. They, every effort area that existed, they just got completely outdone by the Dolphins. Because they, the Dolphins played like winners on that day. Uh, there was not a single lazy effort from anyone. And it, it was pretty much just exactly what a Wayne Bennett coach team looks like. If you know anything about Wayne Bennett, if you've read any of his books... If you know anything about him at all, um, you would know that that is a signature Wayne Bennett team that got rolled out there. Um, yeah. Guys who everyone doubted, like Bromwich and Kafusi, played absolutely stunning games. Jeremy Marshall King put himself on the map. Um, his ability to read ruck markers and AMB defenders is absolutely gorgeous. Played amazing, set up a fantastic try for Nichols where he spotted um, a defender that was watching Sean O'Sullivan so he knew he could play inside. It was beautiful. Um, Hamaso Tabuifido played probably the best game of his career, to be honest. Um, watching his ball playing exist, you know, watching him set up a try, something very, very, very rare from Hammer in his Cowboys days, especially at fullback. So it was very nice to see him add that to his game. And his timing, his support runs better as well. So Wayne has really unlocked something in him. But also, Jermaine Azarko. Holy Wow. Shit. Um, Izako, he's, everyone knows he's rocks and diamonds, but it was the fact that he was composed. Yeah. I... He didn't, he didn't let anything phase him. He just did the basics right. And that let his brilliance shine more. I, I think also he... his kick defusal was amazing. He was catching everything. He like, honestly, good stuff by him. 184 run meters, 58 post contact, two line breaks, six tackle breaks. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, also, Hammer was outstanding under the high ball. 
Well, the keg defusal, it, it just shows, again, like, they won it. Like, you win keg defusals, you can have a good game. I like what I saw from, like, nearly everyone. Uh, Katoa, doing Katoa thing, going over the advantage line. I, I had two thoughts about Katoa. Um, he had a lot of deception to his game. But it was very, very obvious he's barely played 5'8 and is very inexperienced. He was timing his second receiver runs really poorly, and it meant that SOS was throwing a heap of hospital passes. Um because he was just he was creeping up way too much. And it meant that Joseph Suwali Suwali'i, he was making great defensive reads, and he was folding Katoa and anyone in his way for days. So that's another thing I want to talk about in the game. Suwalili, I actually thought that he played amazing uh, defensively as a centre. Yeah. Um, it's something Katoa will have to work on because, like you said, he's he's never been a, like a lot of second receiver. He's been the first receiver. He's been a halfback. Yeah. Um, Milford getting dropped was a thing that I expected, to be honest with you. Uh, I even mm. said it during our Supercoach. Uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago. I I think, like you said, this team went out acting like winners. Like they wanted to win. And of course they're going to win. It's their first game. Mm-hmm. And to do it at a packed Suncorp was special. They played their first official home game at KO Stadium this weekend against Canberra. Uh, so I, I think they're going to turn up again. Uh, I, looking at that forward off coming off the bench, Lemuelle. Uh scored a try. Not Mark Nichols, as you said. Ray Stone. I, it, it looks good. Like honestly, this there's a lot of promising aspects of it, and it's as long as they the Dolphins have the right mentality, continue continuing on. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good signs for them. It's just the Roosters need to go back to basics, and. Of course, they have the, all those injuries. I think uh, someone said 10 out of the top 30 are injured currently, which is a lot. Um, they, there's still no... Manu comes back into the squad uh, this week, uh, and I believe it's Corey Allen gets dropped. Uh, no word on Hargreaves yet. They do, they do lose Matt Lodge. Uh, a bit interesting there. Uh, interchange, actually. Turpin, Hutchinson, White, May. Is that that's the Roosters bench currently? Mm-hmm. So, I, I I think they lose a bit coming off, coming through the middle of the game because I think the Warriors bench looks a lot better with Walker, Afoa, Curran, and Ali. Um. It's just can the Roosters get back to basics, hold the ball, because whoever holds the ball the most will win. And, yeah, I don't count the Roosters out yet, because every... The last time they won a premiership, when they did the back-to-back premierships, they, they lost game one of each season. So, like, don't let these guys fall short. They are still a premiership threat. It's the Roosters we are talking about. They are bound to come good. Um, And I think they will come good. 
whether the question is when will that be? Yeah, well, the Roosters, they're, they're always slow starters. Um, around the origin period, I think they'll get firing more. Yeah. So we saw last year, they lost to the Knights. Um, I want to say don't read into it too much, but there are some things you do need to read into, and it's just specifically the um, efforts of their forwards. Yeah. You just... Because don't get me wrong, that Dolphins team, they, they played like a, a special breed of winners. That's what Wayne Bennett coaches. Um, but the Roosters, they were they were thoroughly outplayed through their effort. And Brandon Smith was incredibly disappointing with how he played. He He's one of those players that's going to have to walk away from that game, shake it off, and go, all right, what was I brought here to do? What am I good at? What am I going to do? Yep. I think the way they used him was incredibly weird too. I think just let him play hooker. Just let him play hooker for as long as he can. Spell him for Turbot if you have to. But then again, also with the issues that they have with the bench. But even then, uh, we talk about all the injuries they have. At the end of the day, um, it's a top 30 for a reason. Yeah. In NRL teams. Uh, you're meant to stack it with guys who can come to first grade and do a job. If you pick, because um, who was on the bench for them? They brought in, uh, was Corey Allen on the bench, I believe? Allen, he didn't even play a minute. It was White, May, Turpin, Allen. That was their bench. I would call that a Yeah, and one of, them was, one of them was activated as the 18th man, I believe. Yes, Fletcher Baker. So yeah, so that's, look... If you've got an outside back and a hooker on your bench, I think that's where your issue with the middle depth is. Yeah. It's a bit it's a bit of a wacky call, especially going against the Dolphins where their big strength was always going to be their forward pack. 100%. And speaking of the Dolphins, they're also going to have Mason Teague debuting this week. Uh, if you watched him in the trials, he's an absolutely brilliant player. I believe he's a union to league convert. I thought he would debut later in the season. Didn't think it happened this early. So that's very impressive, and I can't wait to see how he goes for the Finns. Yeah, I can't wait to see how this young fella goes. Um, what happened to good old Ray Stone? Is he injured? Because that, uh, that's the one who misses out. I think so. I, th- I think he might have just sustained something small. I don't think it was too big of an injury, though. Oh, knee. Uh, he'll be we'll... back next round, apparently. Yeah, exactly. So it just gives him time to rest, and it gives Mason Teague some, um, it gives him the chance to play in the NRL and show what he's made of. Yeah, hundred percent. Good to see. Always good to see young fellas play. Um, going into the next game, the last game of the seat of the round, Titans versus Tigers. Uh, big thing coming out here. Appy starting on the bench. The reason why I didn't like it, but um, was. I think it worked last with the Penrith Panthers because of the forward pack they have. They also had Mitch Kenny who can soak up pressure and defend. Whereas the Tigers aren't that. They're not going to have the the same effect when Appy comes on because when Appy came on, there was a momentum already. There was no momentum when Appy came on. Um, I think Gold Coast did pretty well. Uh, 
in this game. Uh, of course, Kieran Thorne had an early knock because of that knee. But Titans look good. Like, they scored um, twice within 25 minutes with Philip Sammy. Um, Adam Dewey looked good early on. He had a couple of errors, but then he really set in motion. Looking at it, I I like both. I liked both teams' bench. Um, Often and Gary, I thought uh, him coming off the bench would be really good because I loved Often Gary last season. I thought he was a diamond among rock. A, a little thing that um didn't impress me though was the amount that the. the Defense of Titans again, like effective tackles was eighty percent. They missed forty seven tackles, Jacob. Yeah, um It's not fantastic, but I don't think it was fatal in the context of that game. No. Um something I want to go back to is you bringing up Appy. Now, um, Jake Simpkin, I, I can tell you a bit about him. He's he's a very crafty hooker. He's a fast one, uh, quick at least. He likes to read the ruck markers. He likes to play manipulative footy. He's very much similar to that Harry Grant, Appy, Chorus, our build of hooker, where it's their craft that is one of the best things in the game. Yeah. So starting him to absorb pressure was a really weird decision because, honestly, Chorus is better at that role. Chorus is a significantly better defender than uh, Jake Simpkin is. Jake Simpkin, he has this... I don't think his um, first contact on his tackles is that fantastic. I've seen it be better. So, it's... Yeah, it's a weird one. I don't understand the decision. There was another thing I also didn't like with the Tigers' attacking strategy. They were kind of shifting the ball before they earned the right to do it. Yes. Um, they were not working up the middle of the Titans, so it meant that the forward, they, they just weren't having to work out much. They just kept going wide, and there was no real reason for it. There was overlaps. When there were overlaps, uh, Brooks wasn't taking advantage of it. Oh, and here's my favourite part. Adam Dewey was actually their halfback that game. Yeah. He was playing on the right side of the field. He was, yeah. Brooks was on the left. And Dewey was... Always, so that's, like, put simply, Dewey was the halfback. I don't know if it's some weird sentimental reason why Brooks gets the seven, because Brooks was their five eight and Dewey was their halfback. It was strange, wasn't it? Like, it was a bit odd. So, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I would have thought maybe, like, there was to be, to get rid of that, like, for feeder Brooks matchup because Fafita was gonna was playing on the left edge, um, that game. Mm. So if Brooks had stayed on the right, he would have just been trampled over. Um, good game by Fafita in my opinion. Two hundred and six run meters. Uh, recent signing news: he's gonna stay for a further two years. Good to see. I what I liked about this game was just how. Titans are able to easily get on a roll. Uh, losing Kieran Thorne was a big deal, but it wasn't 
in in terms of this match, it wasn't such a like a massive loss. Like obviously, Fawn's a good player, um, and there's a reason why they signed him. But they, I think, they still would have been able to win that game off what he was able to create early on. Uh, and he he was yeah. pivotal with for feeder. Yeah, well, he just he set up Fafita really well, and Fafita also, he's not injured by the seams of it, so he's actually able to take those early hit-ups uh, like he was doing. Fafita always got that criticism that he was lazy. I disagree. I think he was just playing through an injury the entire time. Uh, not, I hate making excuses for players, but it's like, because obviously guys like Payne Haas can go out with their two AC joints and still be one of the best forwards on the field. Because that, that's Payne Haas. He, he's a competitor. Yeah. But Fafita, obviously, being healthier has helped his game heaps. Um, having Foran beside him helps him heaps. Tanner Boyd's uh, in-game kicking was automatic. He was landing it on the 10-meter line just beyond it every single time. Uh, what else can I add? Sam Verrill's going to be a revelation. Already has been for the Titans. Uh, just based on being better than what they had. He was just... Service was good, and it was just, he did what he had to. And that's the exact kind of player they needed in that role. I agree. Um, Titans look good with the spine changes. Um, Tino moving the prop was good. I, I, I'm, Titans look good, man. I can't say anything else about it. Mm-hmm. It sucks that Fawn's a little injured uh, so early on, but you know. They... He'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, they have now degraded it from a MCL injury to just like a cork. Yeah. So that's a bit interesting. So maybe he'll be back sooner than we thought. Um, Paul Beauformer got injured not before he even played. He did a he did his ACL at a training session. So I, I feel for the young lad. He had a good rookie season last year. I thought. Um, that wasn't his rookie season. It wasn't. Nope. Oh, what was it? His second or third? Yeah, he's he's been playing for a couple of years now. Has he? Oh god, there you go. I thought. Okay, never mind then. <laughs> I just I just remember him playing last season then. Um, so yeah, good stuff for the Titans. They have the Dragons this Sunday. Tigers themselves, I believe. Who do they have? They have Newcastle uh, at Leichhardt. So, Jeez. Yeah. The, the Hastings Bowl, the Clemmer Bowl. Oh, gosh. The the little trade they did. Um. So, yeah. Somehow nobody won that trade. Yeah. They didn't. Weird. Um. Oh, Greg Marju has been named in the reserves. Fuck yeah, t- Knights to have been thirteen plus. Can they please play Marju at least? Like, even if they're gonna lose, like at least make it fun. Exactly. Fuck me. Like honestly, have some fun, you cats. <laughs> um. So yeah. All around, great round. I I enjoyed watching footy. Thank God, footy's back. Can't wait for tomorrow uh, for tonight's matchup when this comes out. It's going to be uh, Penrith versus Souths. 
a great rivalry that has started in recent years. Uh, I can't wait for it. Was there anything you'd like to add, Jacob? Um, not really. I think that just covers all of it, and I just can't wait for the round now. Yeah. Um, you know what we love, Jacob? We love our footy. We love our footy. Thanks, everyone.